0: Hey, good morning again. I want to welcome you guys again to Redemption. My name is Ricardo Stewart. And I'm one of the pastors here. Um, oh, a little bit of... Be back there. Anyways, if you're first time here, I want to personally welcome you. Just a little bit about Redemption. We say this every week. We're one church, and we have multiple congregations. Uh, currently right now, you're here at the Tempe congregation. Um, our goal is that we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Therefore, we make disciples that see that all of life is all for Jesus. And so we're glad that you would take a Sunday out to be a part of this. Um, if you want to learn more about who we are at Redemption Church, best thing that you can do is take the information card that's in the chair in front of you. There should be a pen there as well fill out your name and your email address and then one of the guys, uh, excuse me, and then drop it off at the uh, offering boxes during our time of response and we'll be able to get back to you and answer any questions uh, or thoughts that you have regarding Redemption Tempe. Um, just a few announcements I have. First, uh, the CD, that, um, the, the new songs that Garth wrote um, are all finished now. Um, so you guys can go to the Facebook page for a link for that. Or you can stop by the Connect Us and it says, When We Gather, which is the title of those songs, um, to get information on where you can go to download those songs. They're free online. Um, So again, check at the Facebook, um, the the Redemption Tempe page, Facebook, or stop at the Connect Us on your way out, and the guys will be able to get you some information on that. Second announcement is next Sunday we have a Baptism Sunday. So we're really excited about that. Um, We'll have people that be baptized, uh, we think, in every single service. And so if you're here and you would say that you believe in Jesus, uh, you believe that he's your Lord, he's your Savior, that he's died for you, that he lived for you, um, and you've never been baptized. That's something that you've never um, li- looked at the scriptures and seen that God causes people to be baptized, and you would like to be baptized. Um, we encourage you to be baptized, and um, if, if, if you know you want to be baptized next Sunday, again, take that information card that's in the seat in front of you, and uh, fill out your name, your email address, and just say, hey, I want to be baptized, and we'll get back to you and let you know uh, um, any instructions that you will need for baptism. For the rest of us, um, there will be many who will be baptized on that day, so they will not come prepared. Uh, we will have t-shirts and towels and places to change for everyone. Um, it's going to be a great day. If you've never been a part of a baptism service here at Redemption, it's, a, it's a really, really good time for us to celebrate what God is doing uh, amongst our body. Lastly, membership. Um, we have a membership class. It's going to be four weeks. It's going to be the first four weeks of August, starting um, the, the first Wednesday of August, 630 to 8 here. Uh, many of you guys have been asking when is our next membership class well here it is we're going to have it during the month of august Um, and so if you want to sign up for the membership class, again, stop at the Connect Desk or just take the information card in front of you and just write membership class. During our time of response, you could just take that card and drop it into the offering boxes. Um, Myself as well as the other elders will be teaching that class for four weeks. It's a great opportunity. If you think, I don't know if I want to become a member, but I do want to hear about the theology um, and the philosophy of Redemption Church, sign up for the class. It'd be a great opportunity um, for you to ask as many questions as you can think about um, over that uh, span of four weeks. There's child care available for that. And again, that starts the first Wednesday um, of August and it will be uh, four consecutive Wednesdays. And that's all I have for our time of announcement. So let's get into God's word. If you have a Bible, why don't you meet me in Daniel chapter five? If you do not have a Bible, why don't you raise your hands and keep them raised really high? Uh, one of the guys would be able to get you a copy, your own copy of the Bible. Um, if you don't own a Bible, again keep your hand raised and keep the Bible that the guys give you. That's our gift to you so that you can have a copy of God's word. Um, If you are just joining in with us, this is the second to last week of a series that we titled Faithful. Uh, We looked um, at the last 13 chapters of the book of Genesis, looking at the life of Joseph, and then we've been looking at six chapters of Daniel, and this is Daniel chapter 5. Just kind of a recap of where we've been shortly is that the exiles are the people in whom we're looking at. The exiles were people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were taken away from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, um, taken to Babylon. While in Babylon, we've seen that they were faithful to God. And they were faithful to God ultimately in response to God's faithfulness. We see Daniel himself, who is a highlighted character, who's honest with the king. He's able to interpret uh, dreams and visions. Um, Last week, we looked at Nebuchadnezzar, how God humbled him um, to the point that he turned him into, or his mind into, act like an animal, but he humbled him. And the story ended great. The story ended with Nebuchadnezzar repenting and believing in God. Um, in chapter 5, we have the opposite. Uh, what we're going to look at now is we have a man who is now after uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and this happens to be his grandson. In your, in your Bible, is going to say his father, but it really means is his grandfather. Um, his grandfather was Nebuchadnezzar. Now we have Belshazzar. And Belshazzar, um, he's a very arrogant man. He's a very prideful man. But at the end of the story, it doesn't work out good for him. And I'm glad this is in the Bible Because we love stories like last week where we see that it works out. I mean, the guy acts like an animal for a few years. He comes back. He believes in God. It's great. We all clap. It's awesome. But then now this week what we see is a guy who acts crazy. He acts wild. He's arrogant. He's prideful. And then God brings judgment. And so as we look at this, this is a very serious, serious chapter. Um, what, What we'll see, three things about God. One is that God is inescapable, meaning you cannot run from him. Second is that God uses the faithfully obscure, meaning people who honor him faithfully and are not really into people who are not popular people, people who are not noticed. So he loves obscurity. And lastly, um, that God is a God who judges. So he's inescapable. We can't escape him. He loves people who are faithful and obscure. And lastly, he's a God who judges. Before we get into the word, would you ask, um, would you bow your heads with me as we ask God by the Holy Spirit to illuminate his scripture? Father, we, uh, we come to a chapter in this, in this Bible, Father, where we, that it doesn't turn out good. And Lord, that is not easy for us. And yet, Lord, by experience, we know that life in itself is not fair. That Father, though you reign and you, on the just and the unjust, Father, there will be those who will believe in your name and who will live with you forever, and there will be those who will not. And God, that's just the truth of your word. And so, Lord, we ask for humility. We ask for the Holy Spirit to illuminate this word to us today as we see your character and as we see how you relate to Belshazzar and how you relate to Daniel and ultimately what that means for us in our lives. So, Father, give us insight that we cannot see. Give us discernment. God, I pray that you would remove me, that your son Jesus ultimately may be elevated, that your glory may be shown. Father, we are just normal people, sinful people in need of your love. We confess that. There are, there are many here today, Lord, who believe upon your name, and there are some who do not. And God, we can't do anything about that unless your sovereign love falls upon us. And so, Lord, that's exactly what we ask for, and that's what we pray for. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, there, there is something about you and there's something about me where we, we, um, we don't learn from other people's mistakes, Um, In fact, we we see this all the time, and I I think it was Freud who who has a a concept for that in psychology that essentially it calls the repetition compulsion. Um, and just normal language, what that means is we repeat the same mistakes that our parents did. in good ways and in bad ways. I mean, there's, there's some things about your parents that you hated, um, that now you as a parent, you, you do the same thing. Um, I say some of the same lines that my mom used to say that I thought, this is the stupidest things ever. And then now I go, I say the same things. One of the things that my mom used to say, my mom's southern from Mississippi, and, and if you're from the south, you know, there's a saying for everything. Um, and one of the things, when we said we wanted something, like, I want this, I want a Nintendo, she'd always say, people in hell want ice water. She was so nice. Uh, So I I, I see my son doing that, and I want to say it, but I'm like, ah, he's three, you know, we'll wait, right? And... um, And and another one's one, but there's a sense where we we repeat those mistakes. And in negative ways, we see this is that we try to recreate, um, subconsciously, we recreate the dynamic or lifestyle that we had, meaning in negative ways, a young man who grew up in a household that watched his father abuse his, his mother will grow up saying, I will never do that, I will never do that, I will never do that. And yet, statistically, what we see, that's exactly what happens. People who grew up in a household where there's verbal abuse, they will find themselves in circumstances and situations where where they put themselves in a position to do the same or have the same happen to them. And there's a sense where we really don't learn from other people's mistakes. And yet, one of the ways that we draw wisdom, first and foremost, is from the fear of the Lord. Practically, it's from our own experience. And it's watching other people and going, I'm not going to do that. That didn't go so well with them. And yet, we don't. That's exactly what happens to Belshazzar. We know that he was alive at this time when when he saw that his grandfather, father lost his mind and acted like an animal and that God humbled him, That, that he knows about the exiles, he knows about Daniel, and yet he forgets about all of it. And we see this man now, the context where we have is he's in a party. He's not just in a party. He throws like the best party, one of the best parties we've seen in scripture. He can care less about Daniel. He can care less about what happened to his grandfather. And he can care less about God. And so the same God that showed up to his grandfather in chapter 2 and the same God that showed up in chapter 4 is the same God that shows up in chapter 5. And he ends this party in a very abrupt way. Pick up with me in uh, chapter 5. The first thing that we see is that God is inescapable. Chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem to be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink for them. And then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them, and they drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And so here's this party, good party, good party. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying, uh, not a godly party, right, but it's a good party, a uh, big party. And what we even know um, from historical facts is, is that in this time, they threw huge parties, thousands and thousands of people. So Belshazzar now is in this party, he's got a thousand people, it says that he's got every possible drink that he wants, which is wine at that time, Um, he has wine, and it says he's got good wine, and it says that he tasted it. Now, what most of the commentaries would say is, he's not just sipping the wine and going, oh, what a good gift from the Lord, let me glorify him. He's saying he's intoxicated, like this man's drunk, and the way that these parties would be set up is that he himself, whoever the king was, would elevate himself above everybody else. It says he's got women, he's got his wives, and he's got his concubines, which is his, his, um, his women on the side. He already has a bunch of wives, but then he's got women on the side. Like, this guy is ridiculous, right? So this, this is who he is. Um, he's got the lords around him, and when it says lords, these are his buddies. This is a party. This reminds me of, like, Manzanita or something like that, right? This is, this is just a party. He's elevated, um, if you can think about um, my picture here is like a nightclub or something, uh, you, you have Belshazzar, he's looking at everybody, he's drinking wine, he's w- He's in the good seats. He's got VIP. The DJ's next to him, he's looking at the DJ like, yo, spin that track I like. And it was like, go, go, go short. That, like, that's, so that, that's <laughs> what's happening in this sense. Another thing that's happening here is that most of um, commentaries would say, and I agree with them, is that we know historically that Belshazzar knows that his kingdom is coming to an end. At the end of chapter 5, what we see is he's going to be ransacked by the Medes and the Persians, by King Darius. And so what they know is at this time, he's not just throwing a party. He's not saying, hey, celebrate me. He's trying to numb himself because he knows what's about to happen that they're already um, around, his surrounded his kingdom, ready to take him out. So he throws what he thinks is the best party, not just to go out on top, but ultimately to numb himself from reality, to numb himself from his own guilt, from his own shame, ultimately to try to hide from God. And you know what? There's, there's, There's really not a whole lot of difference between what was happening then and what happens now in our culture. We, we may use different things, but we will try to numb ourselves. See, in and, and Belshazzar's case, he wanted to use women. He wanted to use alcohol. He wanted to use party. He wanted to use people's approval. And we do the same thing. That, that, that he, he, he had the vessels, meaning the, um, the, these vessels that were stolen from Jerusalem, which this was, this was an offense to a holy God. Not only did they steal these things out of the temple, um, it was superstitious for them. They would never touch them. Even his grandfather never touched them. They hadn't been touched for 50 years. And he goes and brings them out to say, look at the gods we com- conquered. Though so he didn't do any of it. And it says that they worshiped other gods, false gods, gods of silver and gold and bronze and wood and iron and stone. And we say, well, we don't worship gold and iron and stone, but there's another God that, that we worship when we try to numb ourselves, and it's a God of comfort or an idol of comfort. And we do it in different ways. Some of you, you do go to alcohol. You do, you do abuse it. Some of you, it is drugs. It is drugs, whether it's drugs that you, you buy from a pharmacist or drugs that you buy from a street pharmacist. It's drugs, and you, you, you abuse it. As someone who has tried and done drugs before, this is what I tell you about drugs. Whether it's marijuana, whatever it may be, it's an escape. It takes you away from reality but for a moment. Being drunk, it takes you away from reality for but a, but a moment. It makes you do things that you wouldn't normally do. It makes you say things. That's why can, excuse me, Belshazzar goes, oh, yeah, 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 no one's ever got the vessels. Let me go get the vessels because he's got a little bit of liquid courage. He says, I can go, I can go do this at this moment. And we numb ourselves in those ways as well. We numb ourselves in relationships, whether it's women or men. We we, we numb ourselves to, to say, the reality of this life is not good. The reality of my guilt is not good. The reality of my shame is not good. And so we do that. That's a very licentious way to do it. But there's also another way that we try to numb ourselves or hide from God. The majority of this room, you would do it as well. And it's a more religious way. We, we, we may not be getting drunk, we may not violate what God has given as a good gift of sex, we may not be on drugs, but what we'll do is we'll do whatever it takes to keep God off our back. What, what that means is whatever it is in scripture, whatever the moral imperatives that God has given us, we'll do that because we don't want God to, to bother us. It's, it's like when I was a child, I knew for a fact my mom wanted my room clean all the time, all the time. And before she would get home, I wouldn't clean my room because I wanted a functional room where I can see things and I knew where my clothes were. I didn't care, right? I wanted my room clean because I didn't want her to bother me. And in similar ways, that's the same way we treat God. That we do certain things because of a position that we have, because of our profession of faith. I'm a Christian. I can't do that. I can't do those things. So, So the reason why we don't sin is not because we hate sin, but because we hate the consequences of sin. The reason why we don't sin is not because we hate the sin in itself um, or we hate what it does to God, but no, we just don't want to be seen as people who do things like that. I was having this reflection on myself, um, looking at my own life and saying, do I not do certain things because I'm I'm Ricardo the the pastor or do I not do these things because I'm so in love with Jesus? Are are there certain things in my life I don't do because I see that these things get in the the way of a relationship with God or do I just go, "No, no, no, because if I did that, oh my goodness, what would people think? You see how selfish that is? On one side, you're numbing yourself with the things of this world. And the other way, you're numbing yourself or trying to avoid God by just doing good things so people around you can go, Wow, what a good Christian. Both of it is selfish. It has your eyes on you. That's, that, that, that's no different than Belshazzar. And the truth of the matter is, um, God looks at the heart. And not only is God looking at the heart, God looks at everything, He's everywhere. There's, there's, no, there's nowhere you can go, there's no drug, there's, no, there's nothing, you, you can't get drunk enough, you can't get high enough, you can't have enough relationships, you can't make enough money, you cannot escape God at all, because he's everywhere, and because he's all-knowing. So Belshazzar is now in this party, thinking everything is great, and then all of a sudden, the last person, I love this, the last person that he thought would show up, shows up. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever thrown a party, Um, any type of a party. It could be a good party with like crackers and wine for juice and communion, whatever you guys do. Um, And peep, someone shows up that you don't want to be there. Not that you don't want, like someone you didn't expect, right? Um, A few years ago... yeah, I'll share this with you. A few years ago, there was a, when, I, when I was in college, there was a Tempe ordinance, and it's still here, and um, they, our coach made the Tempe police come and tell us of all the new rules. And one of the new rules were, if you had a party and um, you got in trouble for this party, uh, you had to pay $250 per cop that came. And not only that, uh, our coach made it that our names would go straight into a, a computer program that it would go straight to him. So I wasn't really concerned about the cops. Yeah, cops. I was concerned about coach, right? Um, and sure enough, everything was going good in the party. Everyone was you know, just playing cards. Um, and, and, and then when the co- like, and all of a sudden, with, without even noticing it, there's five cops in our living room. And I just remember going, oh, Coach Cutter's going to kill us, right? I can care less about the cops. Um, I thought about that as I'm reading this, but far worse. Because Nebuchadnezzar is here, um, high and lifted up. Remember, he's got the DJ playing a little 50. He thinks thinks everything's good. And then verse verse 5 says this. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace, opposite the lampstead, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. And then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. So here's what happens. The party's going on. They're worshiping these false gods. They're drinking wine out of of the vessels that came from the Lord's temple. And all of a sudden, a hand shows up and just starts writing on the wall, in Aramaic, but in a way that they can't understand it. It it, it wasn't horizontal, but it was vertical. And then it says that his color changed. His knees knocked. This is what some people call the ultimate buzzkill. He is in the party. Think about that. God's hand shows up. I don't know what it looked like, and it's amazing how many people in commentaries write on what the hand looked like. It doesn't matter. If a hand showed up, it doesn't matter what the hand looked like, whether it was manicured, it doesn't matter. <laughs> he, his color changed, his knees knocked. He, he tried to escape God, he tried to numb himself, and yet God showed up anyway. You see, that, that, the, the, the first time I ever heard this preached um, was the scariest sermon I ever heard. I was not a Christian. Um, I was in California. I was go- actually was driving to California for a bachelor's party. Again, not a Christian driving to California for a very worldly b- bachelor party. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with things called revivals. Um, and so my mom was there, and she said, hey, there's this revival going on, and this pastor from Louisiana is coming in at this church. Will you please come with me before, I go to- before you go to your party? And I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't really want to go to church before I go to this party. All right? So I somehow uh, convinced my buddy David to come to this, this revival with me, and all it is is a guy who comes and preaches every single night for about an hour and a half. right? Um, really, really small church. It's about 300 people, but packed, small, fans, just, just sweating everywhere. And this pastor was up there, real big black guy, and he just held the mic the whole time, and he was preaching out of Daniel chapter 5, and, and, and he kept saying this, the party is over. And the dude on the piano was like, right? and I'm just like, <laughs> And the whole time I'm on, like he's like, the party is over. God will show up anywhere. And he just kept going. And then he said this. He got real quiet and he goes, some of you are here right now, you're on the way to a party. (laughs) I look at my buddy David, I'm like, my mom must have told him, man, he's going to get Jesus on us, right? Freaked me out. Did I go to the party? Absolutely not. I, have, I was never, because he just, some of you are going right now. You're going to call your friends. I mean, it was like, and I'm like, how does he know? Did I text him? <laughs> like, is there, how does he know that? And he, he just proceeded to say, the thing they would say is, no matter how far you run from God, no matter where you are, he'll find you. That's what we talked about last week. He'll, he'll find you, and it's not that he needs to find you because he doesn't know where you are. He always knows where you are. In fact, if you just hold your spot there, um, Turn to the left to Psalm 139. If you've been around church for for some time, this would be a a pretty popular psalm. We read the last part of this during our call to worship. This is King David talking about the omnipresence of the Lord and how he's everywhere and how he's all-knowing. Here's what he says in Psalm 39, verse 1 through 7. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in and behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me; it is too high I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? D- David is saying that in almost a comforting way, to say. Lord, where can I go? But th- that's not comforting for everybody. So sometimes it's a warning to say, listen, God knows your thoughts from afar. He knows what you're going to say even before you say it. He knows what you would have said if you would have said it. He knows, said. he knows what you've said. He knows what you've thought. He knows what you are done. He knows what you're going to do. Like the very thought of that at some level should make us tremble because I know my thoughts and you know your thoughts and you know how wicked our thoughts could be. But the type of things that we think about, the type of things that we do, what David says is God already knows. But Belshazzar wasn't tricking God, and neither are you. And yet, we do a really good job at tricking each other. We do a darn good job at tricking each other and even ourselves. In the same way that Belshazzar had everyone around him thinking, this is a really good king. Look at him. He's throwing a really good party. Maybe even himself. He thought, you know what? I got, I got my act together now. This is good. Yeah, no way. You're hiding. It, it's amazing to me. As Christians, those of us in this room that would say that we believe in Jesus, how good we are at just hiding. That we even convince ourselves that everything is okay, and yet God goes, no, it's not. It's not. Don't, don't, don't trick yourself. You, you can't escape him. See, Belshazzar has this moment where God now shows up. His knees are rattling. And what happens next in the story is that he does the same thing that his grandfather did. He calls in the magicians and he calls in the astrologers and he calls in the enchanters and says, can you guys read this and can you interpret it? And the same thing, they go, no, we can't. And you know what happens in this time? No one up until this point asked for Daniel. Daniel had been faithful to King Nebuchadnezzar. We saw in chapter 1 that he was a man of God. He said, I will not defile myself. And so he, d- he decided, even in something small and the food that he ate, so I'm not going to eat this sort of food. My allegiance is to God, therefore I can serve the king. In chapter 2, he was the only one that was able to interpret the dream. In chapter 4, he was the one that was able to interpret the dream and the vision. And yet, it had been 20 years since chapter 4, and people don't remember Daniel. He- he's now pushed to the sideline. Not only is God inescapable, but what we see about God's people who are faithful, that God himself delights when his people are faithful and they're obscure. We don't read about in Scripture at all that Daniel complained. Daniel doesn't come in and say, hey, how come you guys didn't come to me? Uh, I'm the guy. I've been the guy. I've been the one that have been, been able to interpret dreams. They forgot about him. What, what we read from the text is they don't even know Daniel. They, they've heard of a Daniel, but, but he's gone. He's about 80 years old at this moment. And sadly... We should understand this. Sadly, young people don't care that much about old people. Sadly, it, you're, you're pushed away. You're not relevant anymore. You're, you're just obscure. And yet, that's exactly who God uses. This is exactly what God is drawn to. In fact, what it says here in verse 10, it says, The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom, and whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation." Um, when it says the queen, it's not the wife of Belshazzar, um, it's, it's actually his mother. And so she hears about the party, she hears about the writing on the wall, and then so she comes now into the party and says, hey, I know that these guys, these guys can't answer it, but you know, there's actually another man here, a very obscure man. And the reason I say obscure, I use that word because the word obscure means not popular, not well sought out. People, people don't really f- cling to you or fling to you or follow you. And I I just, I've always been drawn to that because I see in Scripture, that's the thing that God is drawn to. Daniel was a very humble man. He's done some pretty amazing things. Now, we talk about Daniel because it's written about in the Bible, but for 20 years, no one even heard of Daniel, even though he was the man who had helped their, their country significantly by helping their king. And what we see in Scripture, it's guys like Daniel, it's women like Ruth, it's women like Esther, like Rahab. It's men like Elijah and Elisha. It's these men that God uses, men and women that God uses because they're faithful. And the reason why they're able to be so obscure is because they don't need the praise and approval of people. So so many of us, we try to make a name for ourselves. We try to put ourselves out there. Um, we try to get as many followers as possible or people at least to like us. And yet the most confident people that we read about in Scripture and experientially, the most confident people that we see in Christ are people who keep their heads down, and this love Jesus with their mind, their body, their soul, their heart, and their strength. And the Bible lets us know even God looks to people like that. Hold your place in, in Daniel and turn to the left to Isaiah 66. When it comes about God himself loving the faithfully obscure, I've always appreciated this passage in in Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Um, The passage in itself is talking about God looking. And the, the, the thought that God, who has all things, needs nothing, doesn't need you, doesn't need me, and yet there's something in which he looks to. Verse 1 says this, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you will build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one in whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I love that. He's saying the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What can you do for me? Absolutely nothing. Yet, he says, but there's one in whom I look for. The, 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 the people in this world who were humble and broken and contrite in spirit who tremble at my word. And that's who Daniel is. That Daniel is that person. As a people, especially of those of us in this room who believe in God, we have to stop trying to make a name for ourselves and just have a confidence in who we are in Christ Jesus. Just imagine what your life would look like if you understood your identity in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That if you didn't have to make a name for yourself, that you had in yourself just a spirit about you that was okay with being behind the scenes. And some of you are great at that. And just because you have a spirit about you of of being good at behind the scenes doesn't mean you have to be. Some of you have jobs. Some of us, I have a job. You're all looking at me right now, right? It would be weird if I was back there, hey, turn your Bibles up. I mean, it would be weird, right? There's a sense where some of us have jobs where people are looking. We're not behind the scenes. However, there should be no, no speck in us that, ha- that doesn't have a sense of service, that doesn't have a sense of I, I'm, I'm just a normal guy like you guys are normal guys and normal girls. I have a call in my life, and that's it. I happen to be able to do what God has called me to do. That's it. Just, just be okay with who you are in Christ Jesus. I, I've committed to my wife that there's four things that I will do, and anything after that, we'll see, right? The first thing is I will love my wife and love my kids. I love them. I will love them. I will be a good friend. I will be the best pastor I can be, and I will, I will love, and not in an do- idolatrous way, ASU football. <laughs> I'm serious. Those four things, and everything else after that just flows because I think that's who God made me to be. And if he changes, he changes it. But every time I read that, I'm thinking, why do I try to make a name? Why do we try to make names for ourselves? And yet, Daniel, for 20 years, no one even hears about him. And then finally, the queen goes, oh, yeah, there's this 80-year-old guy named Daniel. He's pretty good. In fact, I think God speaks to him. Maybe he can interpret it. And then Daniel comes in, and he interprets it. Um, Verse 13 says, Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king answered and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I heard of you and that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. So he comes to him and he says, are you Daniel? Are you that Daniel? And I'm sure Daniel's like, dude, let me just read this and let you know. Um, every time I've been brought in, it hasn't been good for your family. So let me just show me what I need to do and let me do it, right? But he's humble the whole time he's humble. Um, He comes in, in verse 18, this is where he interprets. Verse 18, he says, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would kill, he killed, and whom he would keep, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. Though you knew all of this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house you have brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. what here's what Daniel says. This is what happened to your father. Man, he was really good. But he was very prideful. And this is what God did. And, And the worst part about it is, Belshazzar, you knew about this. And you didn't humble your heart. We are all held accountable for what we know and what we do with what we know. What information we're being given, what revelation we'd be given. Um, I, I remember a mentor of mine, before I was a Christian, looking at me and saying those words. He goes, The worst part about your life, Ricardo, is is that you know. And he pointed to his Bible. Um, that that's what Daniel Is saying to Belshazzar, you you know, you know about this. This is not um, this is not Belshazzar is going walking around saying, oh I didn't know, I had no idea. Oh, who's God? Who 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 are you, Daniel? Because no, you didn't humble yourself. You, You see, the the judgment that is about to come on him comes on him because of him. It's not that we have this God who's running around who's saying, I can't wait to just judge people. I can't wait just to condemn people. The Bible is very clear that we want something as people, that you and I, our children, every single one of us are born into this world and we want something, and what we want is everything but God. What we want for God to do is to give us up. In fact, no no need to turn there, but in the book of Romans, we see that at the very, very beginning of Romans, Romans chapter one, um, God speaks, or excuse me, the apostle Paul speaks in Romans chapter one, talking about people and the, the fact that they don't have excuse he says in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Meaning it is, it is harder not to believe in God, that it's our unrighteousness, our disposition, that we have to suppress the truth. And, and he says because of that, the wrath of God is coming. And when we think about the wrath of God, normally what we think about is, is people being thrown in the fire. Normally we think about just judgment, and we think fire. And, and, and what God says the worst thing that he can do for you and me, we say this all, the worst thing that God can do for us in this situation is to let us be who we would be apart from him. Is to let you and me do what we would do, believe what we would believe, apart from his sovereign intervention. In fact, he goes on in verse 24 and says, Therefore, God gave them up. Meaning God just said, if that's what you want, go ahead. He says it again in verse 26. He says, therefore, this reason, God gave them up. That language comes up again. And it says that we are without excuse because God, in his general revelation, he's created things that we would see and know that it's God. And even more specific, for us in this room, he's given us Jesus. He's given us his word. In Belshazzar's case, he's given him his grandfather's life and his word and experience. And Daniel says, you have not hardened your heart. So not only is God inescapable, but last thing we'll see is God is a God who judges. We don't like to hear that. We don't like to hear God is a God who judges. We don't even like to hear that Jesus is, is, is one who judges. That we, we love Jesus, uh, Jesus hanging out with kids and hanging out with prostitutes and sinners, and he forgives. But we don't see Jesus as judge, and yet the Bible lets us know that he's both the lamb and he's the lion. And Daniel now interprets this and shows the judgment of God. In verse 24, here's what he says. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, mine, mine, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mine, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the means and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, and a chain of gold was put around his neck, and proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. It was it. Just hours before, good party, good drink, lots of girls, lots of fun. God shows up. You didn't repent. You didn't listen. I gave you the opportunity. Judgment. A few weeks ago, we we read from the book of Romans and, and talking about how God's forbearance and his kindness and his patience is meant to lead men and women to repentance. And so 20 years had gone by for Belshazzar, his kindness and his mercy and his patience. And Belshazzar says, uh-uh. And probably because he thought about his, his grandfather. Well, my grandfather lived this life for a long time, and then finally he, you know, he believed in God. We have that sometimes. You, you hear young, young people, especially college kids and teenagers say, oh, yeah, yeah, Ricardo, yeah, you told us your story. You were an idiot for about 20 years, and then God saved you, so I'll just be an idiot too, and then maybe God will save me later. <laughs> You can't presume upon God's grace you can't and here's another thing about grace hear me on this it's not fair it's not fair why are you those of you in this room why do you believe in Jesus why do you have an understanding of God's undeserved gift called grace and your and your brother doesn't your neighbor doesn't why not because you were smarter because you were better because for whatever reason God and his love begin to open up your eyes So we should never presume upon God's grace. We should never do it with our kids. We should never do it with our family members. We should never do it with our friends. We should never do it with our coworkers. We should never just say, oh, yeah, yeah, God's going to save them because he's given us a responsibility to pray. He's given us a responsibility like Daniel to to teach God's word, to show God's word. So judgment comes now upon Belshazzar because he does not repent. Hear me on that. The Bible is very clear. God himself is saying, I don't desire that any shall perish. I've given the opportunity. I've given time. I've given revelation. And you and me, I've given Jesus. And yet, we may not have the same judgment um, that that Belshazzar have, but it's similar. In fact, we walk down those words again. When it says mine, it says that God has numbered your days of your kingdom and has brought to an end. What that means is God has numbered your days. And God has numbered my days. I could fall down today and it could be over. We could lose someone close to us now, it could be over. We do not have control over our lives. We do not. We said that last week. We do not have control over our lives. One of the saddest things happened the other night as Garth prayed in Colorado, you just go watch a movie. This world is broken and that's not me saying, oh, God did that, no. This is what evil does in our world. We do. God knows the numbers of our days, and then he knows us, and he knows what we did with the numbers of those days. And the second part to that is tekel. It says that you've been, you've, been, you've been weighed, you've been measured, you've been found wanting, meaning ultimately the standard that God has for you and me is a standard of glory, is a standard of holiness, because that is God's character. And so one side, it's weighed to the ground, and he puts our life on the other side to see if it balances. And he looks at Belshazzar, and he goes, no, not even close. You, you, what, he, what he's saying is Belshazzar was morally and spiritually insufficient. It, didn't, it just didn't add up. There's no difference between you and I. You, what that means is we're going to give an account, you, me, every single one in this room, whether you believe in Jesus or not, you will stand before Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 lets us know we will give an account with what we did, what we did with the life that God's given us, what we did with Jesus, what we did in believing him, how we responded to him. We will give an account that, 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 that is not a day. Um, I love Jesus, and I believe that I will see Jesus with all my heart because of the gospel. I still am worried about that day. I, I should be. Because he's going to bring out that book, and he's going, oh, remember when you were 17? Oh, dang it. No, why? what happened? Right? He's going to know that. There's a, there, 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 we're going to have to give an account to that, and people don't like that. It says Jesus. He's the judge. He's going to look. And then, and then for those of you who never believe. How about we'll start with you, Christians? Those of you who believe in Jesus, you'll give an account what you did good and what you did wrong. And I know that many of us are going to go, Yeah, yeah, God's going to say, Hey, remember that one time that you said this to this one person or you shared that? That was really good, huh? Yet your heart was wicked in it. Burn. That's going to burn. And then you will escape, though, as only one escape in the flames, is what Paul says. And then those of you in this room, hear me now, because I love you. Um, whether you believe it or not, Whether you believe in a judging God or not? God will judge, and he will judge you on what you did with his name, what you did with your life, and did you believe in his son? In fact, let me me turn and just read to you um, Matthew chapter 24. It's not going to be on the screen here, but let me read it to you about that day. Here's what he says. when the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him. And then he will sit on this glorious throne. Before him there will be gathered all nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will come and say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When did we see you thirsty? When did we give you a drink? And when you did it to the, to the stranger, and you welcomed him, the naked, you did it to me. And the king will answer them, Truly, truly, I say, in the last day, you will, you, as you did it to one brother, you did it to me. This is Jesus' words. He says, those will be the people who believed upon him. There's a lifestyle that they will live. And then on the flip side, he says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire prepared by evil and it, for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you? hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or naked, or sick in prison, and did not minister to you, then he will answer and say to them, truly, truly, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, and the righteous into eternal life. Those are Jesus' words. And it came to what you did with him. Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, Belshazzar was found weighing, And the truth of the matter is when we were put on this scale, every single one of us in this room, and God's looking um, at our moral life, let me just tell you this, we are in no different position. Some of you guys are better than others. Some of you are more moral than others. Some of you do care for the poor. Some of you do care for the least of these. And yet the standard over here that God is talking about is a standard of holiness of which none of us can attain to apart from the work of the Lord. The, the last judgment that he says here is he says, um, Paris, which means your kingdom is divided. In fact, James Boyce talks about in, the, in, in his commentary on Daniel that the Greek word for judgment means to divide, meaning that God will just take you away. And so the question is, um, how, how is it that, um, what's the difference between the sheep and the goat? If we all are in that position as Belshazzar, that we all are found wanting, that we are not holy, what's the difference between the sheep and the goat? What's the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous? And what's the difference between those who will spend eternity with Jesus forever and those who will not? It's not about our good deeds. It's not about what we've done or what we have not done. It's not about the family that we're raising. It comes down to this. What, What sustained Daniel and the exiles? You see, Daniel wasn't the only one that was writing during the time of exiles. What sustained them and what protected them? Because when, when Darius came, he took everyone out, but he kept Daniel, and he kept Daniel's friends. In fact, the other, the other exiles that wrote, they wrote about a hand of the Lord, but this time it wasn't a hand of judgment, but it was a hand in which God was going to bring. Jeremiah wrote during this time as well, and so they would have heard Jeremiah. And here's what Jeremiah says in verse chapter 33, 31 about what God will do the next time he writes. 31, 33. This is what he says. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put a law within them, and I will write on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall so, each teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall know me; they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I remember their sin no more. Not only did Ezekiel, excuse me, not only did Jeremiah write, but also Ezekiel. And Ezekiel wrote in Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, speaking about that day as well, and how we were protected, those by faith. He says, "And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a new heart." And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. The difference between the the person who will believe in Jesus and the person who will not, the sheep and the goat, the righteous and the unrighteous, has nothing to do with what we do. everything to do with what God has done. What Ezekiel and Jeremiah pointed to ultimately was the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. But those of us in this room right now, um, how do we avoid the hand of God, the wrath of God? It's by trusting in Jesus. That Jesus was the one in whom they pointed to, the one in every prophet pointed to. There's no difference between us and Belshazzar, other than grace, God's undeserved gift that he's given us in Christ Jesus. The way that we balance the scale now is that Jesus himself takes our iniquity, and he takes the wrath of God on our behalf. And then Jesus gives us his righteousness, and so now when God looks at the book, the book that he sees is no longer what you've done and what you haven't done, but exactly what Christ has done on our behalf. We of all people as Christians should be the most humble people because we know the reason why we will spend eternity with God forever, the reason why we're able to avoid judgment is not because of anything we've done, but because God himself has done in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Amen? As a people, we should be humble. And for those of you here who are not Christians, who have not believed upon Jesus, I I implore you, I can't make you believe. Repent and believe in the gospel. We cannot presume upon his grace. No one knows the day or the time or the hour. He knows our days. He knows our days are numbered. Um, believe upon Jesus for eternal salvation. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you, Father, that you were honest with us through your word. Lord, it is... Um, not always easy to hear that there will be people who will not believe in you. Especially because we know people, we're close to people, we live with people, and we love those people. Father, we're thankful that we know that you love them far more than we do. That you have given Jesus. and Father, you've made a way. For those of us in this room, Lord, who believe upon you, Father, I pray that we'd be reminded, Father, on where we draw our strength. That we'd be reminded, Father, that we have only escaped only because Jesus took upon for us your wrath that was meant for our sin. That, Father, we pray that you would humble us, Father, that we would be people who understand obscurity. That we would not have to make a name for ourselves because we realize how much we are loved in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that you've written on our hearts. That though we sin, Father, and we know our thoughts, and you know our thoughts, Lord, that you forgive us. And that you've given us the Spirit to empower us, to lead us, to guide us. And so, Father, we pray that we'd come clean before you. As we come to the table, Lord, remembering the work of your son Jesus on our behalf, Father, that we would be reminded that you washed us as white as snow. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Just give you an opportunity in this moment just to sit still for just a second before we respond and uh, uh, just think through whatever it is God is communicating to you. In just a moment, I'll come back and lead us in a time of response.